podcast made by, for, and about you as fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alexander. All right, hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to Fans on the Run. I'm Ethan Alexanian. That is my name. This is my show. I, I, people have told me, you know, getting some feedback on the show. Uh, Ethan, why do you introduce yourself after the the intro music says this is Fans on the Run? And here's your host, Ethan. Alex- you don't need to repeat yourself, Ethan. Well, I don't know any better. But oh, I'm feeling fresh. Uh, I'm really excited to to talk to our guest today. I I first met our our guest today at the uh, 2019 Chicago Fest for Beetle fans at the prize table of the uh, trivia contest, which, um, actually, no, I'm not going to talk about me right away, because that would be incredibly narcissistic of me. Um, She's the associate editor at Octopus's Garden, which is the uh, fanzine by and for Beatles fans. And this is the, the podcast by foreign about Beatles fans. So it's like a match made in heaven. And she's well known among the Beatle authors out there for her magical red pen, so to speak. And she's a, a regular panelist at the Fest for Beatles fans. Please welcome Janet Davis. How are hey, you doing? I'm great. How are you tonight? I, I'm feeling wonderful. Uh, so, so how have you been lately? Well, it's starting to feel like we're slowly moving back into the world we used to know, carefully, one step at a time. It's a great feeling. I sometimes, it, it's so exciting just to do the, the smallest little thing that you never thought about, and, mm-hmm. and you can do it again, which is really exciting that we're turning that corner. Even if, even if uh, I was a little naive when the, when the pandemic started, and I thought, you know, this this will be over by May. This will be over by May, and we won't have to, you know, deal with too much. And a year, year and a year and change later, things are finally starting to return back to normal. They sure are, and like I said, it, it's a good feeling to be able to do things that you haven't been able to do, which include seeing friends, traveling. That, all that kind of thing, which we all hope to be able to do more of over the summer months. One, one of those, which I, I hope we're able to do, is is the fest. Absolutely. There, Even, there may be an announcement in, in the time between when this show is recorded and when this is posted. So uh, hope, hopefully everything happens. I am so hopeful. I feel that even if Chicago doesn't happen, which I hope it does, that October in Jersey City is more likely. So if we, I've, I've said for a long time, if we can have just one fest this year, I'm, I'll be happy. Even if I'm not able to make it to Chicago, oh, you betcha I'll be you know, on a plane down to New York. Because I, I want to see all you guys again, the, the gang that I, I met we want to see you, Ethan. Um, we just met in Chicago two years ago, and that was just the start. Mm-hmm. So it's great that you're continuing, you're keeping these connections. I, I just love what you're doing. Well, it would be a shame to let, you know, all these people I've met and connections and, you know, potential really close friends go to waste. Absolutely. 
So, so Beatles friends are the best friends, as I said the other day. <laughs> Beatles friends are the best friends. If you can take one thing away from this show, it's that. And I, I say all the time, don't quote me on that. You can quote. Actually, no, you can you can quote Janet on that. <laughs> so something I, I've been asking as of late is um, what what other music besides the Beatles have you been listening to lately? Hmm, that's a good question. I have uh, lots of I, my record collection and taste spans pretty much from the fifties to the present day. Um, I'm not really sure how to answer that. It's just kind of whatever strikes me at the moment. I just we just had Sirius XM free for about ten days, so I was zipping up and down the dial in my car. I don't normally have it because I don't use my car enough to really justify it. But I've been zipping up and down the dial to the '60s channel, to the Beatles channel, all, all up and down the and all up and down the dial. Oh God, I I love Sirius XM. It's it's good. I just don't I don't drive enough to really justify it. But it's fun when it's free for a couple weeks. It's um, as my as my taste grows, I'm I'm finding that the time I spend on each of those channels is kind mm-hmm. of narrowing because it's like, well, now I, I need to listen to a little bit of the 60s channel. I need to listen to the underground garage. I need to listen to mm-hmm. the new wave, whatever. Yes. Yeah. The bridge, the new wave one, all those. They're all great. I, I got really excited the other week when I, I heard I think I heard Senses Working Overtime by XTC on the new wave channel and that that just about made my day that's a good one yeah that was actually a single wasn't it they, they released it as a single i believe yeah I, th- I think that was their their big one it was pretty big that would be like 81 82 ish yeah something like that that i think the the english settlement album the mm-hmm. the one with the big right. the chalk the green and white yeah yeah, yeah. the horse on the hill yeah, that's that's a good one. I I'll, I'll tell you that in college I was a disc jockey, and oh. I, I remember playing that album just to death when we got it at the station. How how do you feel about the song "Melt the Guns"? Hmm. I like it. <laughs> I like it. It's um. It was very much of its time. You know, this was when the arms race was. The arms race and the nuclear arms race were really big you know, in our face every day. And I like it. it, it it's Generally a... speaking, when I like a musician, I, I tend to agree with their, you know, political and social thinking. Yeah. But uh, it, it's such a weird, quirky little number. It's, it's very herky-jerky, yeah. yeah. But that's also one of the things that I love about XTC. Yes. I'm it's sure their, you've seen a lot of their their videos, um, you know, like the old gray whistle tests and all that, where they're they're so herky jerky. Mm-hmm. Well, back when That's Andy fine. was still actually doing things, right. he was you know making going for, making public. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I I I I shouldn't have brought up XTC because now my my head's stuck in XTC land. <laughs> but That's okay. That, that's okay. I think most Beatles fans, if they don't know XTC, they should. If They're... any of you out there do not know XTC, you need to know XTC. Your life will be a lot more colorful for it. 
very much so. There's there are so many Beatlesque songs, and even album covers that are Beatlesque. We're thinking of Oranges and Lemons, and these guys were outstanding songwriters. And unfortunately, we don't hear much about them, but I think they they deserve to be remembered. I I only found out about them like I I had known you know since working overtime. I think I had heard you know making plans for Nigel. But I didn't really know anything about them until someone kind of nudged me a little. And I was like, hey, what what do you know about XTC? And it, it's been it, it's been a very fun black hole to dive into. I think I listened to your entire Dukes of Stratosphere podcast, which was about three times longer than the recorded output. But great. It reminded yeah. me of how much I love those, the, you know, the the EP and then the full-length album that came out. I, I'm... Uh, the the EP, 25 O'Clock, is, is mm-hmm. one of those few records in my collection that has the... I, I'm not sure I'd call it honor of, like, me owning multiple copies of. I, I, I have three copies of 25 O'Clock. Wow. I just have one, which is the one I bought somewhere around April Fool's Day, 1985, as I told you. Um, and it wasn't officially announced at first that who, who they were. So I remember standing in the record store and talking to people and, wait, is it, wait, is it, is it XTC? And it's just really, obviously, when you listen to it, it is, but that was fun. That was a great April Fool's. I, I can't think of any better April Fool's Day prank no. than to drop 25 o'clock out of nowhere. Right, right. And have those pseudonyms and everything, and the pictures on the back cover. Yeah. Oh, it's. See now, now it's. The, this isn't a video show, so the people out there can't see it. But I have this big dumb grin on my face right now. So just, do I. Just so do thinking I. about it. Yeah. But anyways, back to the back to the band. The show is about. Oh yeah, that the, the, the Beatles. Whatever, yeah. whatever happened to them? No. I mean, there are no Dave Clark Five, but <laughs> but um, of course, the the starting point for every show. How did you first discover the Beatles, Ethan? Um, I I consider myself Generation One Point Five, and I know you've talked to other people around my age who had the same experience of being alive when they came to the United States and were on the Ed Sullivan Show. But quite frankly, I'm I probably slept right through it. I was not old enough to be watching them on TV. I do have some firsthand, I call them sort of snapshot memories of like the Yellow Submarine movie when it came out, um, certain songs, uh, the yeah, yeah, yeah thing. I, everybody, I just remember that was a thing. When Hey Jude came out, I remember hearing that, you know, pretty much at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, piles of Let It Be album in Corvettes. When, they, when it came out, just stacks and stacks of the Let It Be album right near the cash register. But it wasn't until I was maybe in junior high school, so that would have been like the mid seventies. And you start listening to your own music on the radio. And I grew up right outside of New York City. So we had tons of great radio stations. And you just start listening and finding your own music. And I was in the school library one day and I saw this little paperback book about the Beatles. It was one of those books that came out in the mid 70s. It was probably like 50 cents. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the Beatles. Let me read this. Well, by the time I got to the end of the book, I couldn't get enough. 
and I had to know more and and that was it and then I realized that so many songs that I liked already and didn't realize they were the same band were the Beatles like the same band that sang something was the same ones that sang I want to hold your hand and that sort of thing so uh, once I realized that I knew a lot of their songs already and I liked a lot of their songs already uh, they had a great story and I, I was just completely it was pretty instantaneous that um that I became a Beatles fan and just became a Beatles fan that could never get enough. I, I always find it interesting because it, it seems to be a very common thing, or at least people I've talked to, that their, you know, love and, you know, infatuation with the Beatles starts really with a book. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, a lot of other bands, it's like, oh, yeah, the Rolling Stones. I, I Oh, I love Satisfaction, Jumping Jack Flash. With the Beatles, it's like there's a story there. There's a story and it's it's recognizing, like I said, that the songs I already liked, many songs I already liked were all by that same band. So for me, I guess it was a little bit hybrid, partially the music that I already knew and loved. And then the book just was like the key turning in the lock. Oh, I get it. I have the linear story now. And um, that was it. Um, uh so you mentioned growing up outside New York City. I'm I'm just curious. Uh, what what stations did you listen to? Um, WPLJ was one of them. Uh, let's see, there was like 92.7 was sort of more a mixture of older and newer. And then there was WNEW, of course, which was like where everybody's dial was just set. Mm -hmm. um, WNEW FM which was sort of the classic rock, but they weren't averse to, hey, here's here's a band like XTC. You know, if you like classic rock, you're gonna like them. So they were good at, they maybe played two thirds older and one third newer. And the newer stuff was the, the kind of music that would appeal to people like me and you. So um, how, how did it go from there after you, you read the, the little paperback book? Well, I wanted to read more and I probably went to the public library then and found more books. And then I found out about this thing called Beetlefest. Um, I probably heard about it on the radio or from older kids. I'm the oldest in my family, so I didn't have any older brothers and sisters, but probably I heard kids at school or somebody talking about this thing, Beetlefest. And um, I, I didn't, my first one was 1979 and I, I had to wait until I was in high school. I wasn't allowed to go when I was a year or two before I tried and I wasn't allowed to go, but I did go in 1979. And as, as you and I have um, touched base on, it was just such a life changer to see so many people who understood the way I felt about the Beatles and just so many opportunities to meet people like Klaus Vorman or Pete Best or whoever it was and go to the flea market and, and listen to trivia contests and it just was overwhelming and I've gone ever since. I missed a few years in the early eighties when I was in college, but I've, I've gone almost every year since then. And now I go for the whole weekend, which I didn't used to do, so. Well, I I, I went for the whole weekend when I, I first went uh, and, you know, smartest decision I've ever made. Cause yes. I, I'm not sure how I could have lived with myself if I showed up for just one day and it's like, okay, now it's over. Total, and then would you have gone home thinking, I'm missing it, I'm missing it, I know. Yes, I. you dove in the deep end and I, I think that's great. I uh, didn't go for three days and I, I went a couple times in the 80s for all three days, but 
not until maybe the past four or five years have I gone for all three days. How would you say the the Beatle Fest of of then is compared to the Beatle Fest of now? That's a great question. And or sure... I, I should say the Fest for Beatles fans of yes, now. Yes, now it's the Fest for Beatles fans. For one thing, there was a there is a lot more to do now. So when you buy your ticket now, there are so many things to do. And it seemed like previously, I look at my programs from the 70s and 80s and 90s, and there may be one or two pretty big name guests, maybe three or four. And then it's kind of, it kind of peters out. Now you could, you could go, there's so much to do. There's so many guests, there are so many performances. I, I don't even know how to, they used to show the movies too, which was kind of fun. I mean, I remember watching a hard day's night in a, in a you know, ballroom full of Beatles fans who knew every line and sang along with every song. And that was, that was fun when that, that doesn't, Mark's not, not showing the movies anymore, but cause there's so much else. There are so many guests, there are so many performers, musicians, people who knew them, people who wrote books about them. So I would say in those days, there was a little bit more electricity, especially when John was still alive and in the city, because you would hear rumors, he's gonna be at the Beatle Fest. He's gonna be here, you know, somebody's gonna show up and you thought maybe, maybe, maybe. It, it didn't happen, but there was just that electricity of knowing he's so close by. There, there and, was always a, a question mark. Yes, yes. But now it's a different kind of electricity. I love seeing the multi-generational families. And again, then that would also be, nobody would be at the Beatle Fest who was over a certain age, you know, maybe 30 or so. It was like 15 to 30. Now it's two to 92. So it's apples and oranges. It's, it's different now. Doesn't mean it's better. Doesn't mean it's worse. It's still something that we, we look forward to every year and would not want to miss. I, I still remember when I, I went, there there was so much to do. Uh, I, I had to make my own personalized schedule yes, because <laughs> it's like, okay, so I, I have to be in this ballroom at this time. And then, you know, I have 15 minutes to get to the paperback writer room and then, oh, you have an hour and then you can go do this and you have to go get the autograph signed here and here. And then <laughs> totally understand. Yep. You do, you sit down and do your game plan before anything starts. Yes. The, the one thing I didn't take into account was that uh, Chicago's in a different time zone than right. than Waterloo, Ontario. Right. And so I didn't change my phone. Mm. I didn't realize until I, I think I missed the first panel I wanted to go to. No. Because no. I had the time wrong. Yeah. Well, you can't, unfortunately, you just can't do it. You have to pick and choose. And you can't do everything you want to do, and and that's you know it's it's beauty and it's also disappointing. But Mark does an amazing job. I give him all the credit in the world for keeping everything going and giving us a different experience every time. I just can't give him enough credit. So so back to back to your Beatles story. Um, he, you had heard you know. You know, you remember hearing like, "Hey Jude" when it was a hit. You remember the "Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs." Right. What What was the first Beatle record you bought yourself? Um, the first Beatle record I bought was the first Beatle record. The first record I bought, the first LP record I ever bought, was the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl, right about when it came out. Um, because it had so many songs that I liked on it, 
you know, the radios, you can see my cat right here. The radio stations were playing lots of excerpts from it. And I, I like that song. I like that song. She, I like She Loves You. I like All My Loving. And it was a way to get a lot of songs. Now, you can't come over here. For, for um, the listeners at home, there there is a black cat that just kind of, a black cat. you know, kind of strutted across the, the screen for a second. Um, I'm taking after Ken Womack, I guess. Oh, well, you're in good company. <laughs> yes, very good company. Um, you beat so people I thought it was in a your good, cats. Good way to get, yes, a good way to get a lot of the songs I wanted on one record. And I remember that I babysat and I got $6. And I went to the record store the next day and I paid $5.49 for it. And I just thought, I'm, I'm set. Which record store was this? It was a tiny independent record store near my, near my, where I grew up in Porchester, New York, and it was in the next town over. It's long gone. It was probably gone by the 80s. It was kind of like you had to go down these rickety little stairs, but they had some neat stuff, and I made a beeline for the very next day. Was that the main record store you used to go to? Nope. I actually went to a place called Harvey Sound in White Plains, New York. It's, it's sort of an audio visual store, but they also had record departments and they would have bootlegs and imports. And I actually ended up ordering a lot of stuff, special order, like, can you get me, please, please me and meet the Beatles or with the Beatles. And they would order it and it would come. But that's where I bought a ton of bootlegs, ton of singles with sleeves. And uh, I wish they were still there. Well, it- in my experience, not, nothing quite compares to like the the weird little record selection of a of a hi fi shop, right? Because that that's again, you had to go down the stair, you had to go walk, walk by all the stereo setups, and then go down the stairs, and then it was, it was great. I, I snagged a, a whole bunch of uh, now out of print Beatles mono reissues from my local hi fi shop. Well, we miss we miss record shops, chains, independence. It's it's hard for me. I mean, you you can find them every once in a while. There's one about an hour north of me. Susan and her husband Jim and I went up there this earlier this summer. And um, there are places, but they're few and far between. Yeah, it it always makes me sad to know how many record stores there used to be compared to now because like if if i had been born like 30 years earlier i my life could have been a lot easier you you would have had the same you would have had the window but we have the internet so you can still find things and you can still buy things it's just it's just different yeah although there's no fun in ebay though no (laughs) <laughs> I know what you mean. Although with with lockdown, it's that's it's like that's all you have. It's like you can't go to the the store and flip through the bins. It's like okay, go on eBay, pick out a record. You can live with yourself that day. It'll show up in two weeks. Yeah, well, two weeks is being rather generous for the lovely people at Canada Post. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not bitter. Who said I'm bitter? <laughs> So, um, I, I, I'm actually going to shake things up a little bit. I'm going to hit you with some of the quickfire questions now. Okay. Um, what, what is your, what's your favorite Beatle album? 
my favorite Beatle album. I uh, I know Revolver is the right answer, and I which is Abbey Road. And I love Abbey. I love I love Revolver. Revolver is a huge turning point for them, and every song is great. I'll tell you why I picked Abbey Road. Um, at this point, they were all mature, unique songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, the production, the instrumentation is is crisp and clean and bright, and it's just a perfect swan song, technically and musically, to me. I, I thought about each of the Beatles and how they show up on this album. You've got John with his uh, raw honesty in I Want You, She's So Heavy and his quirky wordplay and genius for imagery and language and come together. Um, Paul's playfulness, you want to call it that, and Maxwell's silver hammer and his uh, vocal tour de force in Oh Darling. It's There's nothing else. That, that's the only way I can describe it. And then of course, George comes up with his two most beloved songs um, and maybe his best songs in the Beatles on one album, Something and Here Comes the Sun. And as a bonus, we get Ringo's second and I think better of his two songs that he wrote with the Beatles, Octopus's Garden. So, and then you get to, and then we get to side two. And, that, um, and that's only had, side one. I know, that's just side one. The medley twists and turns and the, and the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, the final words, the love you take is equal to the love you make, are the final winding down of the past decade and a half that those four guys had spent together doing nothing less than changing the world. And then we get the surprise bonus track, Her Majesty. So that's why I chose Abbey Road as my favorite album. Well, it, I, I always, you know, I, I always say there's a correct Beatle answer. This is probably the first time I, I'll say on this show there isn't a correct answer. No, there's, uh, uh, no, there's not. Every you could you could make a case for every single one. And, um, if I heard like a really convincing argument for Beatles six, <laughs> I, I would probably believe them. Yeah, some of those, especially the American Beatles six, Beatles sixty five, all those kind of things, they're kind of disheveled and they're not perfect cohesive albums. But I, I always rag on on the American Beatle albums, but I'll. I'll you know, bend over backwards to defend the Canadian ones, because it's like, oh, look at that Beatles sec or Beatles, you know, sixty five. That's not a real album. They're just taking bits and pieces. Yeah. Long Tall Sally, you ask? That's a beautiful album made by the genius people at Capitol Records of Canada. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it it always cracks me up when they themselves would talk about the American albums. I don't know what's on it. I don't even have that. You know, I don't even know what it is. Yeah. That, that kind of I always chuckle when they when they're in a concert speaking. Well, that song we're going to do is from some album. I don't have it. Yeah. I love that. What What was it, John? At uh, the the Shea concert? It's like yes, this one was on Beatles Six. I think we didn't have that one over yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, you you mentioned uh, the song Octopus's Garden, but there is another Octopus's Garden that. I think you're familiar with. There is another Octopus's Garden. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, as as you and many of your listeners may know, that in the United States, to my knowledge, and I've been looking around for a lot of years, to my knowledge, there are only two print Beatles fanzines left. One of them is Beatle Fan, which started in 1978 and is still going strong. And they, I, I don't know how they do it. They've got a huge staff of people who send reports from all over the world. Our friend Al Sussman writes for them, Tom Frangio, lots of people, Bruce, Jude. Kit. 
and kit absolutely and every other month when it shows up in my mailbox i am so happy uh, if, if al sussman is listening to this he knows how i stretch it out as long as i can to make it last okay i'm only going to read one article then i'll put it aside um the other one is octopus's garden and i'm going to tell you a little bit about octopus's garden let me get my information right here because i have the exact dates Octopus's Garden was started by Beth Shorten in 1991. And so that means they're celebrating their 30th year right now, which is not too shabby. Right. Um, our friend Beth started in 1991 and Tom Aguiar, yes, yes. Tom Aguiar took over about 10 years later and I joined the editorial staff in 2002. Now for anybody listening who's interested, Octopus's Garden comes out four times a year. It's a quarterly magazine and it's a mix of news, opinion, reviews, and we love um, reader contributions. If you want to review a concert that you saw, if you want to talk about a book that you read or a trip to England that you took, um, Tom will be glad to include it. It's $20 for a one-year subscription in the U.S., 25 elsewhere. If you want more information, look for Octopus's Garden Fanzine on Facebook, or you can email Tom at Beatles94 at Excite.com. Shameless plug. Oh, there, there's no such thing as a, a <laughs> shameless plugs are more than welcome on this show. Yes. And we, we want people to, it, it's fun. It's the Beatles fanzine for and by fans, as you said before. It's fun. He puts puzzles in. Um, he puts funny things in. He, you know, he'll take artwork. He'll take all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of a mix every month. There's definitely news. There's definitely the hard news about releases and concerts and rumors and goings on in the Beatles world. As Tom will agree, we have never run short on news. We usually have to hold back one or two or three or four articles in each issue because otherwise we'd be sending out a phone book every month, every couple of months. So please join us if you're interested and it's really fun. I, I love working with Tom. The way it works is he sends me the articles that he wrote or somebody else wrote or whatever it is. And then I go in and just make sure we've dotted our T's and crossed our I's. Um, and then I send it back and he prints it out. So, so you're, you're with Octopus's Garden. What, what is your personal history with, with Beatles uh, fan magazines or newsletters? Beatles like. fan magazines, it happens to be a particular interest of mine. And that's one of the reasons, and I'll slide into another shameless plug, one of the reasons that I loved helping Sarah Schmidt with the book that's coming out soon that she wrote, um, which is about the American fan clubs, the North American fan clubs. And it's called Dear Beatle People. Dear Beatle People, the Beatles North American Fan Clubs, 1963 to 1972. Now, Sarah is looking to publish later this year. This is a story that has never been told. It's the history of the official club and the unofficial clubs, which are created by fans. <laughs> Lots of stories about how fans tried to and often did meet the Beatles. Uh, the controversy about the official club, which is really interesting. Uh, all the creativity and community within the smaller unofficial clubs. And again, these are stories people have never heard. They're first person stories. There's so much energy and excitement in there. Um, you're hearing firsthand from the from the 14 or 15 or 16 year old girls who were trying to meet them when they came to town, or they were setting up club meetings and getting charters and keys to the city so they could try to present them to the Beatles when they came to town. 
and she's laid it all out. The, the fans also, of course, the Apple Scruff mm-hmm. and the fans who went to England and, and wanted to try to meet them there. I just, I could, the, the energy was just palpable when I was working on the book and reading the stories. I, I just absolutely loved it. And if people want to hear more about that, they can go to Sarah's website, which is meetthebeatlesforreal.com. And you'll see right there on the front page, Dear Beetle People, click there and, and you can keep posted on how she I, I love uh, hearing and reading about the, the old fan clubs, official and unofficial. Well, you're um, going to love this. <laughs> well, it's, it's fascinating. I, well, thanks to Sarah, I've, I've had a few of, you know, those 14, 15-year-olds who had their own clubs on my show. You know, people mm-hmm. like uh, Marty Edwards. Marty, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Patricia Gallis-Stenman. Yes. Oh. I... I I, I'm I'm not even just saying this for like a, a plug. I'm I'm really excited to read this when it comes out. Yes. I can't wait to see the final piece. I felt I and I've said this to her, she's told stories that would be lost to time if she wasn't sharing them. Because these you know, we're not gonna live forever. So some of these people's stories are now going to be immortalized. And I think Beatles fans are going to find out the story behind the story here of the, of the fan club, the official one, and then the, all the little ones that were created all over the place. Um, something that it, it's it's a reoccurring observation I've I've had, and especially as I, I talk to more and more people like you know Sarah, it's the Beatles are I think probably the most documented group of musicians to ever walk this earth. Well, yes, the Beatles and, and the, the the phenomena around them, the the inner circle, the outer circle, yes, yes. the outer outer circle. I don't. I wouldn't argue with that. I think, and it's amazing that new pictures and new stories are still coming out. Why? Why do you think people are are so interested in, in these guys? Well, I think that falls under your lasting effect. Like, why are the Beatles still important to, to yeah. us? I thought about that, um, Ethan, I thought about that. And I I think basically the Beatles showed us the bigger world outside our families and neighborhoods. Um, they showed us what the world could be. One of, their, one of their most important messages is that the world can be a better place. And that's a message that we're always gonna wanna know here. Um, think about some of their lyrics. I just jotted down some here that reinforce that. Take a sad song and make it better. All you need is love. We all want to change the world. I am he is you are he is you are me and we are all together. Here comes the sun and with our love we could save the world. That message will always be relevant. And the Beatles will always be there to pass ideas and inspiration to anyone who will listen. They are our connection to a better world. That's what I think their lasting effect is. Because I, I feel like it's it's not even just the music anymore. It's It's what they represent. Absolutely. And I always think with the Beatles, you had the four of them. And I'm not, this is not my original thought. I've heard it spoken year over the years. You had, you had John representing maybe the, you know, the intellect and the curiosity and, and the, you know, the yearning. And then you had Paul with the sort of soulful, romantic side. And then you had George with the spiritual quest. And then you had Ringo sort of tying it all together. He's, he's the everyman. So the four of them together 
just created that magical something that's so hard to define, but it's there. It's definitely there. On the kind of subject of, you know, Beatles documenting uh, and, you know, all, all that stuff, um, I, I, I like asking this, you know, to people who are, are you know, well-versed in Beatle books. Um, what what are your what are your favorite Beatle books? Oh boy, I did that, not was, that was that a one. very that was a very roundabout way of asking what are your favorite Beatle books. If I had to pick maybe four or five Beatle books, I would pick the Hunter Davies book because I think it's it's the only one that was done with their full involvement and cooperation, other than anthology. Okay. Um, but it was done as an outsider telling the story, not just them telling the story. So I would pick that would be one of them. I've read that book many, many times. Um, I would pick the anthology also because it is their own words. It's, it's them telling their story in their own words. And then I'm going to cheat a little bit and pick Mark Lewison's trilogy, even though we don't have two of them yet. But um, certainly tune in is when I, when I finished reading it the first time I said, well, he just basically, obliterated a whole bookshelf full of Beatles books. Um, he does such a great job. I know you know. I know someday he's going to be on your show. I'm rooting Someday. Someday. Yes. Um, gosh, I have to think other than that. Well, that's that's five books. I sort of cheated with the Lewison. I could make it too, but hmm. I'd have to look at my bookshelves around. I, I, I think maybe those would be the three most important if you could only have three. I'm really hoping the the new Get Back book is as good as the anthology was. I hope so too. Yes, I'm excited about that in the fall. How, how would you categorize the the anthology book though? It, it, it's not quite a biography. It's not quite an autobiography. Um, as a librarian, I, I'm ready to answer that question. We call that like an oral history. It's it's spoken probably probably most of it is spoken word from interviews that they did i don't think any of them sat down and wrote any of that out i think these were all spoken words so it's an oral history uh, are they they must all be from the uh the interviews for the the documentary quite a think. few yes quite a few yeah all the, the I, haven't, I haven't read it cover to cover in a few years but it's it's extremely valuable and for what it is you know I'm so glad they did the anthology because we, you know, we lost George just six years later and could have been, could have been a lost, lost opportunity. Well, the, the anthology, you know, I, I haven't read it, you know, cover to cover in a while though too, but it, it kind of, I, I don't know if this is, this is just me. It provides two different kind of experiences reading it. Mm-hmm. One is actually reading it mm-hmm. and the other is just kind of, looking at it oh yes it's a very well designed book it's a beautiful book um great pictures great layout it's a treasure yeah uh, and and uh, it's, it's so big though <laughs> that, it's so big and heavy that, yes. that's my only complaint is it is huge yes I, I had to take that into account when getting, you know, my new bookshelf. It's mm-hmm. I that's that's the benchmark I use for like, okay, how tall does this need to how tall do I need to adjust this to be? It needs to be as at least the shelf needs to be at least as tall as the anthology book. 
Because I don't want to have it's, to lay it on its side. Dead. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, it's it's a it's it's huge. <laughs> And I'm it takes better. a long time to read because it is so. No, no, it, it takes a long time to read because it's so unwieldy. I oh, agree. I, I think I got in trouble a few times back in, you know, grade f- five or something for trying to, you know, during independent reading time, trying to, you know, use anthology to <laughs> count as three books because it's so big. And I, that It weighs a lot, too. I, I don't know how much it weighs, but it's a lot. It's, it's I'm looking be, at my copy right now. It's, it's got to be, what, 75, 80 pounds? Well, I don't know if that. I don't know. Um, we could look on Amazon and see. It'll probably say, but yeah, you don't just pick that up for light reading. No pun intended. I know you love puns. I I, I have a relationship with puns. I know you do. It's complicated. It's 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 complicated. <laughs> I'm going to hit you with another quick fire question. Okay. I don't know why I'm still calling them quick fire questions if I'm spacing them out throughout the show. Okay. Um, what What's your least favorite Beatle album? Okay. Um, I would say my least favorite Beatle albums would be, I'm going to say two. Um, the Magical Mystery Tour soundtrack and the Let It Be soundtrack. And I'll tell you why. It's not the songs. I love most of the songs. I just feel like they don't have very cohesive energy. No. Um, There's some great tracks, but it seems like they just gathered all the outlying songs and put them together on one disc, mm-hmm. which they did. Um, and since Abbey Road was, since Abbey Road, which I praised so highly before, was recorded after both, it's kind of amazing that they got it so well crafted and tight. But it's not the songs. I love some of the songs on both of those albums are favorites of mine, like Two of Us. All you need is love and all that, but I just feel like they were scrapped together. It's I I I used to, you know, write off "Let It Be" completely. Yeah, you know that's that's not a surprise to anyone who's who's familiar with the show. Um, and I think I've I've said this many times before. I I've reevaluated the album once you don't look at it as an album, you look as you look at it as a soundtrack to the film. I did exactly the same after hearing that conversation or those conversations on your podcast. I stopped thinking of it as an album. It's not. It's a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And the same with Magical Mystery Tour. It's not meant to be a sit down, listen from, it's it's the songs they had at that time. Mm-hmm. So that was helpful to me because I, I found Let It Be sad and choppy and sort of just didn't feel finished. I I'll, I'll, I have to admit, though, I think that may be a fans on the run first. Um, I, I can finally uh, take that off my bingo sheet. Um, ha- having someone say Magical Mystery Tour is one of them. Okay, okay. E- even though I, I get what you mean, how it's, yeah. you know, it's an EP and then whatever Capitol Records threw at the wall exactly. to make an album. And again, I'm going to say that some of my most favorite songs are on that album. It's just doesn't work as an album for me mm-hmm. it sounds like you're just playing one song after the other it's not a crafted album do you, do you feel do you still feel the same way about side or side one or the the double ep i think i would have liked it better if it was just the ep and they hadn't just thrown other songs on there that that just sort of put them on an album 
I think if it, if it came out in the U.S. as an EP, I would have a lot more affection for it. Yeah. All, although, if it came out as an EP, it would be even harder to find a copy in good shape now. You're right. It's why I... it Okay, this, this is a new rant. This is a new rant. This is a never... Something, again, not very common to this show. An original thought of mine. Well, not original, but it's something I haven't said before. Why couldn't they have made those Magical Mystery Tour albums differently? Why did they have to put the staples in so weird so the books fall out if you look at them the wrong way? I agree, yes. And so now, you know, schmucks on eBay are selling, you know, you know, Magical Mystery Tour booklet is barely fallen out, $200. Yeah. That and the Ruddles, right? Yeah. The Ruddles booklet, it's hard to keep in place, too. I don't know. Wait, was, was the Ruddles one attached to the... I album? believe it was. I believe it was. Yeah, I'll have I, to look. I'll have I, to look at my album. I, I actually didn't know that. I I knew it had the booklet. Yes. But I didn't. I know. think it was attached. I will I will get in touch. I'll confirm or deny and, and tell you later. I'm not going to take the time now to go look at it. Huh. I. There there's 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 how you know they didn't do a good job attaching the booklets to the album. It's if people don't know whether the booklet was attached to the album in the first place. Right. Right. I think it was and it may have fallen off just because the album is 40 years old. I, I don't know. But that well, but, was one that I ran right out and got immediately. I love the Ruddles. To me, that that's not an excuse, though. That's just the, the American ones. Mm-hmm. I have, like, 1970s British mm-hmm. LP copies of Magical Mystery Tour. Mm-hmm. They put the staples on the outside, so those things are not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> you, you, it would take quite a bit of effort to detach those booklets cleanly yeah. from the album. You'd probably have to rip them, yeah. and that's not happening. Um, so we, I, I already asked you about. Um, actually, uh, we we talked about the what the Beatles mean to people what what do the beatles mean to you specifically okay sorry i am rusty I, i'm not good at you know arriving at the question well part of my answer was in what i said before that they are sort of you know they lead you to the bigger world and they show us a better world and that's those are those are things that are never going to be different 200 years from now people will still want a better world what they mean to me personally so many things over the decades. I'm just going to say that right now they mean people and friends like you, Ethan, that I can share my appreciation and thoughts about them. I can't even imagine if they had not clicked for me so strongly when they did. I can't imagine how different my life would be. I, it's just not possible. Um, <laughs> how how have the Beatles uh, how have the Beatles changed your life? Well, to go back to the theme of that they sort of act as a a bridge to the outer world, I think listening to them and then to their solo music, which was in full swing by the time I became a a real fan, you know, John's political and personal struggles, um, George's spiritual quests, those in particular helped me understand the bigger world. 
and made me want to ask similar questions of myself. Um, what do I think is fair? What do I think of, of this particular thing that's going on in the world? Or, you know, who am I? Why am I here? That sort of thing. Those questions that you ask as you're becoming yourself. So I think they, they helped me try to sort of formulate those questions and then try to answer them. The, this, is a, this is a bit of a less deep question. Um, who's your favorite Beatle? George. That was quick. Well, George was the first one that I liked. And I had crazy things like being, I unfortunately I never saw George in person, never saw him perform. Uh, I'm sorry, I wish I had. I'm still kicking myself for not going to the Bob Dylan birthday show at Madison Square Garden where that would have been my chance to see him. Um, I love George. I went with my friend to a Formula One race one time to try to see if he would be there. We used to, we made birthday cakes in the shape of guitars for George way back when. <laughs> and then he was quiet for a while. So it was, it was, he was quiet, like, in, you know, from the seventies into the eighties. And well, he always was time, the quiet one. He was the quiet one. And then of course, John was coming out of retire his, you know, five-year retirement or semi-retirement, I guess. And John, I called them one and one A. So I was just so excited that John was coming out of retirement and we all know what happened with that. It was yeah. devastating, life-changing, horrible. Um, we, we missed so much. It's just, it's still a tragedy and it always will be. But, you know, so between, I, I call them one and one A. But I think personally, I relate to George a little bit more. Um, and if, if I were a Beatle, I would probably be George. Well, what's your favorite uh, George George record? All Things Must Pass. Speak, speaking of All Things Must Pass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is... Uh, this is gonna this is probably gonna date the episode a little by the time it gets out so the news just uh it, it hasn't even broke yet it's you know there is some sort of error with the george harrison website that all the info about the the new all things must pass sets got yes. leaked yes thoughts question mark um i'm actually not completely ruling out the idea of getting the big super mega deluxe set but it's because that's my favorite album oh it it is Pe people can have favorites with with george harrison records but that's objectively the best george harrison album it is. It, that, it's, it's not even close no every single song um that i feel like that and brainwashed were such perfect bookends for his solo career and I'm not saying I'm going to get the $999 one, but I haven't ruled it out. Um, I know there's no extra music on it from the $150 one, so I'll have to make a decision. I, I'm still um, trying to figure out which configuration I'm going to, you know, <laughs> get. I know. It's, I, I'll probably end up getting that eight record set. Yeah. It's... Uh, it, it's 200 American or so oh, or so they say no. that'll probably end up being what you know 12,000 Canadian with the conversion rate at this point 
I'll have to look into the exact details of the whole thing, but um, I like the way the Harrison estate has generally um, released things, which is that they, they basically have like a, a regular edition. And then for people like you and me, they've had fancier edition. This of course goes way above and beyond the fancy edition, but um, it is a landmark album. It is probably his biggest statement, the biggest statement of his life. And um, you know, if there was one album that George would be remembered for, that would be it. So I don't know. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. I don't know how controversial it is. I'm I'm getting a little frustrated with the the various estates and uh, you know archival releases because it it seems like they're getting progressively and progressively more expensive as time I'm goes on. Totally right there with you. I, like I I thought it was ludicrous believe- last year when the when the flaming pie came out and the top configuration was what six hundred and change. Well, that shows you. I can't say. I yeah. don't know because well, they're, I, they're charging four hundred dollars now, basically for that box for the plastic gnomes. It seems it, it is. It's the like that's where that's where all the extra money's going. The bookmark and the gnomes. I, I guess there is like a ninety-six page book and then a forty-four page book. You're that's what you're kind of paying for in the box. Expensive book. It's, I don't know. It's a, it's a moral dilemma. Yeah. But oh. I've 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 withstood I've withstood other you know large I'm I'm looking I'm my feeling is I'm going to spend money on the all things must pass and whatever the get back stuff is that's that's what I'm spending money on this year. I I feel like um, the reason this uh, well I I think it was probably quite funny that um, the all things must pass came out this year probably deliberately because they knew it was going to be like a big thing. Yeah. And it's like, well, we don't want to release it the same year as uh, the Let It Be stuff. Right. And then, you know, Let It Be got pushed back a year. It's like, well, I guess both of them are coming out this year. They're both coming out this year, probably not too far apart from each other, too. And then, yeah, the Plastic Ono Band stuff earlier this year. Yes. Which I'm still very upset that, um, you know, in Canada at least, it was like... Uh, on close to a hundred dollars for the two LP. Yeah. For two records. Yeah. And and if the if the McCartney camp dares to put out, you know, that archive reissue of Back to the Egg in London Town that everyone thinks they're going to do sometime between now and whenever. Oh <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't even I I don't know. It just, it just makes me mad. You'll finish them off? No. Wasn't that, that Paul's quote about the releases of McCartney and Let It Be, I'll finish you all off? <laughs> Something like that. Oh, it, I think it's time to hit you with another question. Okay. What's your favorite Beatles song? My favorite Beatles song is Strawberry Feels Forever. I, I, I have to say I'm so happy that you, you have like the these answers to the, the quick fire quick fire in inverted commas mm-hmm. um ready because so many times I've talked to people and it's like what's my favorite mm. Beatles song? <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I don't know if I have one. 
It's like, oh, give me a fucking break. Well, I did have to narrow. I, I came to I came to about twelve, and I just had to keep narrowing it down. Did Did you get to twelve, and then just figured uh, I, I'll just eeny meeny miny mow it? Mm, I, I I was more methodical than that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Maybe not this one. All right. This is a great song, but is it my personal favorite? No. I just kept narrowing it down. There's no question that it's Strawberry Fields for Everyone. I'll tell you why too. Please um, do. It's the final step from pop songs to more abstract and sophisticated themes and arrangements. There was no going back after this. No. When it came out, it was an absolute game changer for, for the group and for music fans. And um, I love the color. I know this is going to sound strange. I love the colors and texture of this song. It is so dense and layered. Um, the words are interesting and evocative. And um, as for the title, I, I know you're familiar with Strawberry Fields Forever fanzine with Joe mm -hmm. Pope. Um, well, one of, the, one of him, the big pioneers. Of, best, best, yeah. yes, absolutely. Somebody asked him once why he chose that name for his fanzine, and I'm going to borrow his, his reason. Um, he said he chose that title because it's our idea of Beatles Nirvana and when we want it to end. And I took that as an exact quote. Strawberry feels forever. It just is so. It's our idea of Beatles heaven, and when we want it to end. Beatles heaven. Huh. I I didn't actually know. That's why he called it the, the yeah. magazine. Yeah, that's why he chose that as opposed to other titles. It could have been many other titles. Ah, oh, I I. I it's strawberry fields forever what 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 is there left to say that yeah. that's see this is why i i've shied away from the most part he says after he's appeared on several <laughs> shows talking about several albums uh why i i stay away from kind of you know musicologist level i don't know talk about this stuff it's what is there left to say about these songs right it's Strawberry Fields Forever. I don't think there is a, a song in pop music history with better production than Strawberry Fields Forever. I agree. And it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Even mistakes and weird time changes and everything. It, just, it's, just the fact it's, that it's two different takes of the song, mm -hmm. one slowed down, one sped up, and George Martin did it in such a... George Martin and Jeff Emmerich, such a clean way right. that people don't know about it for the most part until it's pointed out right I, I think that just speaks volumes and it sounds like nothing else it takes you somewhere else completely mm -hmm. I just I find it a song that you just get inside of it it's it was like a musical atomic bomb mm-hmm like people are still you know sifting through the debris to this day Absolutely. trying to figure out what happened mm-hmm like all these, all the backwards parts and the, mm -hmm. um, the mumbling, <laughs> the mumbling at the end. Whether, whether or not John said I buried Paul, which he didn't. Right. Or maybe he did. I don't know. I don't know. I've, we've all listened to it like with our ears up against the speaker as it fades out. It's Who knows? Cool. Maybe in that 26 minute version of Helter Skelter, John tells you where Paul's <laughs> buried. I don't know. Oh, and, and uh, the last one. Quick fire question: What's your least favorite Beatles song? 
I, I hate always, I hate ending on like a negative note yeah. like that. But we went in, in a negative. So I, I put aside covers in thinking about this because I, I just wanted to talk about Beatles songs that they wrote. And um, there are just a couple of songs on the White Album that I would tend to skip if they weren't just so short that it's not even worth getting up for. And I'm sure you can guess what they are. Yeah. One of them is Wild Honey Pie, which is just, you know, there's seconds. no point in skipping wild honey pie and why don't we do in the road i don't love it's just silly it's kind of a connector song it's not you know there's the lyrics are just two lines of lyrics well and the thing with that song is though it, it's i i wouldn't put it on the same level as wild honey pie no, because the song not. has a killer bass line it does <laughs> You're right. It could have. It could have been more. I so I feel like it was sort of not developed enough. You know, if they if they really wanted to make a better song of it, they could have. And then the third in this category is "Dig It" from "Let It Be." I just find that they're not. They're not. They don't feel finished to me. If they were from another group, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I liked them. Um, they're just not on par with most other Beatles songs. I. I did. I would have in in previous times. I would have said Revolution Number Nine. I I thought it was scary. I would never sit down and listen to it for enjoyment. But I've come to appreciate it for what it is. Well, it it, it is a fairly impressive, you know, sound collage. Yes. And I it, I wouldn't go as so far as to call it a song. Right. But... And I think we all wanted it to be a song. It's not a song. It's it's a, it's an artistic sound collage and. Once you kind of, it's kind of like with the soundtracks thing with Let It Be, once you kind of look at it in, in those terms, you can appreciate it. I don't love it. I can appreciate it. So you, you said you, you put aside the uh, the cover songs. Could, could you touch mm -hmm. on that a little? Sure. Um, I just, I guess I just felt like a Beatles song is a Beatles song that was written by one of them. Um, of course, I consider Dizzy Miss Lizzie and things like that. I consider them Beatles songs, but I just, I thought that was a little bit of a cop out to pick a, a cover. Well, what What is your favorite Beatles cover? Um, it would be Words of Love. Yeah. Oh. It's, you know, I mean, that's another thing you, you asked before, how the Beatles affected me. Of course, they have led me to discover and explore music. You know, if they're talking about how great Buddy Holly is, well, there must be something there. I'll, I'll look into it and, you know, love Buddy Holly. If they're talking about how great, you know, this is or that is, or I, I usually look into it. I, I, I don't think I've ever done this before with the show, but I think I'm going to bookend it with a, with a question another mm -hmm. or another thing on other music. Mm -hmm. Who, if, if the Beatles are number one, who are number two for you? Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, I, I kind of tend to compartmentalize the music that I like, like 60s groups, mm -hmm. 70s groups, 80s groups, 90s groups, and so on. Okay, um, who, who are the number two 60s group? Oh, man, I love um, I love Love. Oh, Forever love? Changes. Absolutely, one of my top 10 albums of all time by anybody. Um, I love um, Jimi Hendrix. I love the Bo Brummels. Do you know the Bo Brummels? The Bo Brummels. Love them. Um, I can't even think. There's so many. Of course, I, I went to, I was at um, Ken Womack's Pet Sounds Tuesday Night Record Club last night, which, you know, reminded me of how much everybody loves the Beach Boys. Which, um, uh, hold on, allow me to do a shameless plug okay. that has nothing to do with, you know, 
uh, this, this show or anything. If you haven't been tuning into to Ken Womack's uh, Record Club shows, do it. Do it. Do it. Definitely. It's really we, we all, fun. We all it's love like an Love it. It's just, it's, it's like a book club, but you're talking about a record and they'll play a track and talk about it. They were great last night. Um, oh gosh, I can't think of, I'm just completely blanking on. Oh, I know. I was going to talk about the, the Brit folk rockers, Fairfield, Conve Fairport convention, Fairport, Fairport convention. Um, of course, going on from there, Richard Thompson into the present day. Um, so I guess that's just a handful of 60s. The Rascals, I love the Rascals. I can go on and on and on. <laughs> um, in the 70s, then that would have been more like the contemporary music that I was listening to at the time. Mm -hmm. And there was that sort of late 70s British invasion that came out of the punk era. I didn't it, love like, the punk because I thought it wasn't necessarily specifically about the music. It was more about the attitude and that sort of thing. But the some of the music that came especially out of what I think is like the post-punk era, like XTC we talked about, The Clash. Joy Division. Um, Joy Division. That, that would probably be my second favorite group of all time. I, I, I think I'd put The Jam in that category. The Jam, too. absolutely. I was just, yes, The Jam, Squeeze, um, so many others, of course. I could just go on and on about this, but um, so the 70s into the 80s, and then I love the singer-songwriters. Um, I mentioned Richard Thompson before. <laughs> One of my favorite singer-songwriters is still around Mary Chapin Carpenter, who's completely not related to any of the things we just talked about and came out of the country music scene of the 90s. I will buy any album she puts out. Uh, do, do you buy, do you do that with, like a lot of other artists that like no matter what they they put out you'll get it i i would say a couple of handfuls worth yeah and now a word from my sponsor me hi i'm ethan alexanian founder president and ceo of fans on the run i hope you've enjoyed the show so far i certainly have oh what a good time it's been the show is also streaming on all of the major podcast distribution platforms like podbean spotify apple Podcasts, google podcasts and many more if you're listening on any of those please follow or subscribe to the show and if you've enjoyed what you've listened to so far please leave a review we're on facebook at fans on the run podcast twitter at fans on the run pod and on Instagram at Fans on the Run Podcast, where I post all the graphics for the show, including this episode's graphic. If you have any requests of people you'd like to see on the show, questions, comments about an episode, or anything else, you can reach me at fansontherunpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, and have a wonderful yes. evening. Uh, I th thank you so much for coming on the show today. This, this has been a lot of fun. Well, before I go, I just wanted to mention two more projects that I've been involved with. How, how did you know I, I was going to go right into asking <laughs> I don't you? No, no, you, you usually ask people to plug things at the end. So um, just quickly, another book project that I'm involved with is our other friend, Charles Rosamay, who you know. Charles has a book called, the his book coming out soon called The Book of Top Ten Horror Lists. And Beatles fans might say, well, why would I be interested in that? Well, I'm telling you that there are several Beatles-related contributors to the book. And he asked a whole bunch of people to send in their top ta 10 favorite scary movies, the monster movies, horror movies, whatever they are. And um, if you get the book, you will find out what Pete Best's top 10 favorite monster movies were. Paul's stepmother, Angie, and John Lennon's sister, Julia, were all contributors. Plus, 
if you like the Beatles, you're going to recognize a ton of other people in the book, like Nikki Dolenz and so on. So that's coming out soon. Website is bookoftophorrorlist.com. Plus, plus it's, other, it's Charles Rosenay. Plus it's Charles. How, how can you not love the guy? Right. And the other book is I mentioned briefly before that I'm helping Jude Tesler with volume five of her John Lennon series, which is called Shades of Life. This is covering from the beginning of January 1965 to mid-August, so we're going right up to Shea Stadium. We go through the filming of Help and the recording of the soundtrack. It, it includes the famous LSD trip that George and John took with their dentist, uh, the NBA nomination, and John's second book. Jude tells me that this was originally 1,500 pages, and she had to break it up. Um, so this is part one. It's about 700 pages. Go to her website and pre-order right now, johnlennonseries.com. She's pricing this slightly less than her previous editions, and she's going to start shipping in mid-October. Awesome. It is an absolute pleasure. I, I, I find out so many great stories, and I can't wait for people to read them and, and find out what was happening with the fan clubs and about the monster movies. And, of course, this year in John's life is, is, is a pivotal year, and I think people will, will want to read all of these books. Well, Jude's books are just, you know, they're, they're top shelf stuff. The research that she does is absolutely astounding. This book is 750 pages, I think, at this point. 600 is the text, 150 pages of notes. I'm only in the 400s. <laughs> so the amount of research that she does is absolutely astounding. And she's telling a story that will probably never be able to be told in this depth ever i don't think ever again because she's spoken to so many living witnesses so i i totally support her project and i love these i love these books that find this little niche and and go with it in this case not such a little niche yeah it's you know a 1500 page niche absolutely this is just volume five yeah did you know she's she's already done four and she's got at least a few more after this. We're only in 1965. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to, you know, give a, a mention to or a plug? No, I think those three books and then Octopus's Garden. Um, I encourage people, if they're interested, to um, look it up and, and join us. We'd love to have more subscribers. With that being said, Janet, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. Well, Ethan, you didn't ask me for a weird factor trivia. Oh, please give me a weird piece of trivia then. Okay, I got one for you. I've never seen this anywhere, so I hope this is not well known and I just didn't realize it. Which of the Beatles' American albums has a cover with a backwards photo on it? In other words, the negative was flipped. Um, I I'm going to guess... Beatles second album because there are a lot of photos on that cover and by the law of averages I, one of them is it could be that it is not that although I didn't look at each picture and determine whether that was right or not it is yesterday yesterday and today it's backwards and the reason I could figure that out is because Paul's sitting in the trunk here you see mm -hmm. and there's a label right here and it's backwards so take a look at your cover. It says Reliant, but it's backwards. Huh. So the whole picture is backwards. So if you take this and hold it up to a mirror, it actually is the way that it should be. So 
I a little fun fact. Ooh, that that just kind of shook me a little. <laughs> <laughs> I I had no idea that was backwards. Yeah, it is, and they all they they kind of look unhappy and weird, right? And well, I I've always said like, that that cover looks a little strange, and I'm well, not sure why. why. Maybe, maybe if I flipped it around, it would look a little bit more normal. Hold it up to a mirror; it looks more normal. They still don't look happy, but it looks more normal. There you go. That's a good piece of. That's a weird. That's a good piece of weird trivia. I tried to think of something that I hadn't heard anybody say. Oh, I'm glad you you reminded me. Okay. Well, we are we're running long. I didn't. Want and and with that being said, leaving you on on a high note there. Yeah. To, to everyone else out there, thank you for listening. You can go home now. Fans on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Showtown production.